navigating the business aviation tax environment as we look to the end of the year. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Rob Finfrock with your trusted source for business aviation news and information. Perhaps no other subject brings about feelings of unease and dread quite like the matter of taxes. But of course, that's an extremely important topic to talk about, especially as we tick down toward the final days of 2022. Today, we'll discuss the current tax environment for business aviation and the importance of terms like Standard Industry Fair Level, or CIFL, perk reporting, 1031 exchange rules, and, of course, bonus depreciation with two experts in the field. Ryan Demore, CAM, is head of aviation tax for MySky and vice chair of the NBAA tax committee. David Hernandez chairs that committee and is a shareholder at the law firm of Vetter Price. And David, certainly the end of 100% bonus depreciation after December 31st is on the minds of many business aircraft owners right now. How has this affected the short-term aircraft market, and what should we expect as we count down to 2023? The change in bonus depreciation has had, I think, an impact on people rushing to market to take advantage of bonus depreciation simply because you have a couple factors. The market is already tight, and so there are limited opportunities there. But there are a lot of people, I think, that don't really fully understand that 100% bonus depreciation is only dropping to 80% bonus depreciation the following year. People need to talk with their tax advisors to make sure that bonus depreciation is something they really need or want, given their current tax scenario and tax planning situation. And let me add one more thing. Because of this tight market, the old analogy of the dog finally catching the delivery truck, well, you, boy, you got the delivery truck, you're, you're, you got your bonus depreciation, but oh, by the way, because of this tight market and rush to buy by December 31st, you overpaid you know, a quarter of a million dollars for this aircraft. So it requires tax planning, but also common sense. Don't overpay to get a depreciation that may or may not help you when you're putting out an extra quarter of a million dollars potentially. Very good points. Ryan, is bonus depreciation a concern for your clients as well? Yeah, and that's typical in the fourth quarter, right, Rob? So it's 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 essentially something that's quite common. It seems to be a little bit hotter this year and last year than is normal, I think, because of the bonus. But as David alluded to there, I think the knowledge that it's still stepping down from 100 to 80, there's still plenty there next year. Uh, and in fact, you also still get your regular maker's depreciation on the remaining 20%. So really, technically, you can still take 84% of the purchase price as depreciation in the first year. And secondarily, uh, there's also still, uh, for certain long production period aircraft, a one-year extension that's possible as well. So it's not as doomsday as some people will think. What other factors will affect the taxation environment for business aviation in the coming months, Ryan, and what impacts will they have? Well, there's a couple things, and I'll I'll start with one from the Tax Cut and Jobs Act with the loss of 1031s. We used to be able to use 1031s or a like-kind exchange to roll basis over from one airplane into the next, and losing that in the Tax Cut and Jobs Act is going to start having an effect on the industry. Uh, At some point, people are going to have to start paying taxes when they sell their airplane, and that's something that hasn't happened very often in the past. So I think that's something to kind of pay attention to. 
to and look forward to. Obviously, second, midterm elections. The environment at this point in time is is one that business aviation hasn't really been wrapped up in anything. It's kind of all quiet on the Western Front. We're kind of hoping it stays that way. For now, there's no discussion on major overhauls or significant legislation at this point. So let's hope that stays that way. Thirdly, I think this one is not often thought about, but with COVID and the civil rates, the imputed income amounts that are being calculated for individual personal use of the aircraft has gone up significantly. We had kind of a a break, if you will, during the COVID years where the lowest rate available was a significant drop off of what we were used to. And that's kind of gotten back in line with pre-COVID numbers now and will continue sort of on an upward trend. So that's something to keep in mind as well. The sleeper factor, if you will, is the impact on state and local taxes with respect to business use versus personal use. Many states have an ongoing obligation in order to take an exemption under state sales or use taxes to have a certain threshold of business use. For example, Indiana, you have to report on an annual basis if you're doing leasing structures to mitigate the taxes. California, if you're doing the exemption for interstate use, you have to report that. And so all of these states may have various use restrictions or use reporting requirements that are triggered to business use or leasing use. And so that's another factor that I think people ought not to to forget about. And as, as Ryan noted, because of COVID, more personal use has been occurring. And that is, in most instances, a negative aspect of this sales use tax planning. And it's also have an impact on bonus depreciation and, and depreciation going forward. So for example, if you took bonus last year and this year, you have nothing but personal use or a big significant chunk of personal use. You need to talk to your accountant to make sure that you still are able to take advantage of that. I mean, certainly we have two months left. You certainly have enough planning, but I've had some clients just say, heck, I've got to stop flying the plane or I've got to do a lot more business flights. So that's the thing that I think most people ought to think about. More in just a moment. But first, this word from NBAA. NBAA Flight Plan listeners, are you getting recognized for your leadership? NBAA now offers certificates and other credentials in safety, sustainability, and more. Visit nbaa.org to apply today. We're back now with David Hernandez and Ryan Damore and our discussion about year-end tax planning. David, you mentioned the need to separate personal use of aircraft from flights operated for business purposes. Why is that an important distinction to make? That's a very critical piece of data to track for IRS purposes, obviously for state and local tax purposes. And frankly, if you're a publicly traded company for SEC or Securities and Exchange Commission, perk reporting purposes. And you can't make these changes retroactively. That's why you have to do these personal business use calculations throughout the year. But at the end of the year, particularly, you have to make sure those calculations are made. And as Ryan mentioned earlier, too, CIFL. CIFL is also important for imputed income because if it's personal use, more often than not, whether you're a publicly traded company or not, you're going to have to figure out your CIFL calculations if there is personal use. So you've got to track it. Ryan, to whom should the task of tracking that information, business use versus personal use, fall? Or perhaps, which part of a company is typically responsible for that? 
Unfortunately, I think often it lays in the wrong place. And put it this way, we'll split it from the tracking to the decision making. So the tracking, I have no issues with having that live within the flight department. I think there's companies like mine, which are producing software, which will certainly help with that. But there's also scheduling systems and so on, where where it's a natural fit for the actual tracking to live within the flight department. However, what that does not mean is that the decision-making should lay with the flight department. I think the decision-making needs to lay internally at the company. Having a low-level aviation employee tell a CEO that a trip has to be personal instead of business is not something you, you want in your company. It certainly should fall onto the shoulders of legal tax accounting, somebody within the organization that can make that decision. And not just one person either. I mean, ultimately, there does need to be one individual who is the ultimate decider. But having a team that can discuss all of the aspects of it is certainly important as well. And keep in mind that deductibility is in question here. So bonus, everybody's talking about it. But that all that means is a tax break, which saves you money up front. And so there's a lot of large numbers in play. So getting it right is extremely important. If you're getting it wrong, there's some big issues there, right? Losing that deduction is certainly in play. And that's the whole reason for getting bonus in the first place. So there's lots of different areas that you have to consider. The IRS, imputed income, deductibility, the FAA rules on reimbursement, if there is any, if you have a timeshare or something of that nature, the SEC rules, they all play together. And not tracking it properly can land you in hot water with any of those government agencies. That leads right into my next question, Ryan, because obviously we need to be mindful of ensuring that we're complying with all the applicable regulations. But of course, we're also thinking about how we can maximize depreciation or minimize our tax obligations. How can flight departments minimize their tax burden without running afoul of the IRS or other federal agencies? follow the rules. That's that's number one. Obviously, first and foremost, beyond that, having the income to support the deduction. Just because you heard your buddy say, hey, I got bonus depreciation, I got this huge tax deduction, does not mean that it applies to your situation. So one, you need to actually have the income to support the actual deduction. Beyond that, as we talked about tracking, so under 280F, there's a 25 and a 50% rule for business use, qualified business use. The, uh, the government isn't just in the business of handing out huge deductions, right? They want to make sure that you're using this airplane for business use. So again, that goes back to tracking in that point. Also, a big one is, uh, you know, from that standpoint of maximizing is make sure that the aircraft is placed in service in this year. You hear a lot of stories of people say, look, we're going to fly one maintenance flight this year and then go back in the shop for another six months while it gets finished. But that way we've met our burden with the uh, IRS to claim this bonus. And that is not placed in service, right? I mean, that's my opinion, but actually placing the aircraft in service is important. And it's a calendar year test. So there's a lot of ways to run afoul, like, hey, look, we want to do a flywire with the FAA because we want to be able to speed up the registration. So let's fly just one flight to a foreign country. Well, knowing the rules and understanding that it's a calendar year test, one flight to a foreign country and back will actually trip up your U.S. test under the depreciation rules. And if the only flight was a foreign flight, guess what? You don't get bonus. So again, knowing and following the rules 
can help make sure that you're actually getting the maximum benefit. David, what advice do you have for minimizing tax obligations within the bounds of the law? I think it's an interesting question because it's often overlooked. I think it's a discussion with all of your key advisors, whether it's the IRS, your your tax advisors, as well as your your regulatory FAA advisors. And Ryan touched on upon a lot of those things. So obviously for tax depreciation maximization purposes, the IRS is the primary driver there. But making sure that you comply with the FAA regulations is important. And for example, flywires or you know, if you're buying an aircraft that is coming into the United States, you're going to need a designated airworthiness representative to issue a certificate of airworthiness. And so that's another step that's often overlooked in terms of the timing. Trying to find a DAR during December closing season with all the rushes, like trying to find a leprechaun in a pot of gold, it's virtually impossible. So keep that in mind. You can't start this planning process with the FAA and the IRS too late in the year. So you should be talking about these issues this week and continue on until you're absolutely certain that you've done everything to maximize your depreciation, but also the gotchas. You know, again, as we mentioned earlier, the state sales and use tax planning. David, I'd like to circle back to the matter of bonus depreciation. As you and Ryan noted, it's not likely to be a significant issue in the near term, with the percentage dropping to just 80% for 2023. But what about as it's phased down more in the coming years and until it disappears completely in 2027? There's a lot of moving parts here. So first and foremost, I think, is you know the, the, the phase down is something that people need to consider. But second is the expiration of personal income tax rates, the end of 2025. And so your tax credit, perhaps your, your tax situation, you know, if you're in the highest tax brackets is going to increase from 37 to 39. So some people take the view and we discussed it at the last NBA tax and regulatory risk meeting, your tax rates are going to be higher in the future. So you might want to consider that when taking bonus depreciation. But I think ultimately what is going to impact the decision-making process as it pertains to bonus is what's going to happen in the economy in the next year or so and whether or not a recession hits, because that's going to be the overarching issue that impacts everybody more so than bonus. I think if if this market is is severely hammered by the economy and, and charter opportunities dry up, you're going to have a cascading effect throughout the industry. And certainly 80% bonus is going to be an issue. But if you're in a position where you can't afford to fly an aircraft, bonus may not be that much of an issue going forward. So I can't read the tea leaves, but every time I turn on the news or other venues, the talk of the recession is is loud and clear and trying to figure out how that's going to play with respect to bonus depreciation is uncertain. But uh, there's going to be some churn and a lot of people I think are going to be wondering what to do based on the current economic conditions next year and the year thereafter. David made a brilliant point there is, you know, inflation is certainly uh, on everyone's mind, right? And so that's something to, to very closely pay attention to in the next year to sort of see what happens as far as whether that drives a drop off in uh, orders, if you will, or purchases. I mean, it works with used aircraft as well, right? So, which was a change from the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. As I touched on earlier, the 1031s are gone, and so we can't use that to roll basis over anymore, which was great because bonus depreciation sort of took its place. 
And so the math worked out the same as a 1031 with bonus depreciation and everybody was happy. But now that bonus is stepping down, I think what we're going to see is the sharp buyers are going to actually speed up their purchases in the next two years. And prior to sort of this coming inflection point that as bonus steps down at some point, probably in 25 ish, when companies start selling airplanes, they're going to have to start paying taxes on it, which is something they may not have done in the last 80 years. And that's going to be somewhat of a surprise to them. So those companies that have talked about that, in my opinion, are buying now, this year and next year, to sort of maximize that benefit and buy as much time as possible so that we can see what happens with the economy. So then you don't need people like us telling you what the tea leaves say. You've bought yourself enough time to see where it actually ends up in the next few years. Probably after that inflection point, there's going to be, I think, a quick drop off back to normality. Do you have any other advice for business aircraft operators, Ryan, as we look to the end of this year and an uncertain economic environment ahead? I think this often gets sort of overlooked in the rush to get the benefit. And that's know your true cost of ownership before you buy. I think obviously it it sounds simple, but it's not something that's always discussed in a uh, sort of overheating market. Hiring a great team is obviously important using good software, coming up with a great plan, and knowing what to expect. There's so many areas to consider. Having one person who's doing everything, it's practically impossible for that. So you need a team of experts that are handling these types of deals, and you need the tools to do the job. And this is something that I've seen personally as people have gotten in without that, are very surprised after a year. And those are the people that end up leaving the industry with a bad taste in their mouth going, I don't want to go back into that. And that's not what we need as an industry. What we need as an industry is to make sure that all of these things are discussed by the experts before the purchase occurs. So having good accountants, good lawyers, good operating people that are are going to have all of these conversations with you prior to buying the aircraft is extremely important. That way, you know what's coming, the expectation has been set, and you're happy having come into the private aviation space, and now you're going to stay. We want people to stay in this business. So basically, making sure that you know what to expect ahead of time, and then also properly tracking post-close is just as important, right? As we discussed, making sure that you're hitting all those thresholds, your 25 and 50% tests, and so on. So you need the team and the tools to be able to maintain the benefits. David? You know, Ryan touched upon the, the team, and I think that's the thing that you have to have in place to identify potential gotchas because one person may not have the, the knowledge that others have on the team regarding what's happening in the tax or regulatory or, or SEC world. And I think the potential gotchas could be um, tax law changes. You know, we've got an election. We got a bunch of tax proposals in front and, and other proposals, frankly, for that matter, before Congress and it, bring around the White House various legislation. So I think a couple of gotchas may be look what's happening in the legislative sphere and the reauthorization sphere of tax changes that may impact business aircraft use and particularly depreciation. I think also, again, other gotchas unrelated to depreciation, but just reemphasizing watching your business use and personal use and making sure that it applies across the board, whether it's maintaining your depreciation or bonus depreciation on the annual basis, making sure that 
if you have to do SEC reporting, make sure that you don't forget that gotcha of properly tracking PERC reporting, properly tracking CIFL, and properly documenting and tracking your utilization for state sales and use tax purposes. All of those things are very important and could be a very unwelcome gotcha on New Year's Day when you realize it's too late to fix something for 2022. And to avoid that very situation, be sure to consult now with your accounting team, tax attorneys, and flight operation to plan out your tax strategy for the end of 2022 and for the coming year. Additional resources are available for NBAA members at nbaa.org forward slash taxes. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan episodes at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including by asking your virtual assistant or connected device. Of course, you can also download Flight Plan directly from nbaa.org. I'm Rob Finfrock. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for a new episode of Flight Plan. Flight Plan.